Welcome to this podcast from Wilkesboro Baptist Church, where we are on a mission to lead our neighbors and the nations to follow Jesus. We're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 10, if you want to find that in your copy of Scripture. Uh, what do you think about when you hear the word idol? What comes to mind? Well, if you're a child of the 1980s, you might remember that scene in the movie Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark, the very first scene in that movie where uh, the lead character, Indiana Jones, is looking for an artifact, an idol, in the middle of this place that is booby-trapped. And he finally gets to this particular small golden idol and takes it out. And uh, unfortunately for him in the movie, it gets taken from him by somebody else. But if if you hear the word idol, maybe that's what comes to mind. A little image of some type of person, animal, or imagined deity in rock, stone, gold, or silver. Is that really what an idol is? Well, yeah, I guess. Uh, especially if you look back in the Old Testament. In fact, the greatest sin that God called out throughout the entirety of the Old Testament is idolatry. It is the primary sin that God critiqued, that God convicted, and that God judged. If you, want, if you want to look back into Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments, the very first two commandments that God gave had to do with idolatry and worship. Shall I have no other gods before me? Is commandment number one. And commandment number two, you shall not make for yourself any graven image. And if you look through the rest of the Old Testament, the storyline is that the people that God sent his people to take their land, the reason he did that is because the nations that were in the Canaan land were filled with idolatry. They were worshiping all of these false gods and all of these false deities. And God wanted his people to be separate and distinct. He didn't want them to worship idols. He wanted them to worship him alone. And so idolatry was a great problem throughout the Old Testament. In Jeremiah, Jeremiah called out idolatry all the time. We've referenced that on a number of occasions in these sermons. And what we find in Jeremiah 10 is Jeremiah's major sermon against idolatry. He preached it. This is part of the temple sermons we looked at in Jeremiah 7 and 8. It's the conclusion of that where he's preaching to the people about their false worship, their worship that was distracted and focused on all the wrong things because primarily they were idolatrous. So what we're going to do is we're going to unpack what it means to worship an idol and the contrast between the inauthentic worship of idol worship and what true and genuine worship looks like for, the, for God who is and who reigns. And, and by the way, before you think you get off the hook in this sermon, because I know there's a temptation for us to think, Oh my goodness, he's going to be preaching about these little golden idols and images that were made thousands of years ago. I'm good. I don't have a golden image that I, I put anywhere in my house and bow down and worship it. This is going to be a sermon I get to take off. Uh, the church father Origen put it this way. He said, what each one honors before all else, what he admires and loves, this for him is God. David Wells described idolatry as trusting some substitute for God to serve some uniquely divine function. These substitutes don't need to be supernatural. Money, power, expertise, the location of the planets on the astrological charts. 
and a belief in progress are among the most popular idols of our time. In the New Testament, idolatry is not just an Old Testament problem. In the New Testament, John wrote in 1 John 5, 21, Little children, keep yourself from idols. This message is not just for the people of Israel 2,500 years ago. It's a message that we need to pay attention to today. As we get to the conclusion of it, we're going to ask some questions of ourselves that will help us identify if we have idols in our own lives, things that we are replacing God with and keeping ourselves from worshiping God truly and authentically. Pick up with me, if you will, in Jeremiah chapter 10. Hear the word that the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, Learn not the way of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, because the nations are dismayed at them, for the customs of the people are vanity. A tree from the forest is cut down and worked with an axe by the hands of a craftsman. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with hammer and nails so that it cannot move. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field. They cannot speak. They have to be carried, for they cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them, for they cannot do evil. Neither is it in them to do good. There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? For this is your due. For among all the wise ones of the nations and in all the kingdoms, there is none like you. They, talking about idols, are both stupid and foolish. The instruction of idols is but wood. Beaten silver is brought upon Tarshish and gold from Euphaz. They are the work of the craftsmen and of the hands of the goldsmith. Their clothing is violet and purple. They are the work of skilled men. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God, the everlasting King. And His wrath, at His wrath, the earth quakes and the nations cannot endure His indignation. I want us to explore three contrasts between idols and the Lord. Here's the first one. Idols are wordless. The Lord is to be feared. Idols are wordless. The Lord alone is to be feared. Did you notice that Jeremiah was talking about idols that were made by the hands of men? A piece of wood that was crafted out and, and, and shaped and then it was covered with gold or with silver. Uh, these idols are stupid and foolish According to Jeremiah, they, they, they don't do anything. They don't say anything. They're the work of a craftsman. Has a piece of wood ever talked back to you? How about, how about something golden? Has it spoken to you? Has it given you a message? Or something silver? No, it's just a thing. It's just an item. And what Jeremiah is saying to the people of Israel is you are so foolish for turning yourselves over to an image of Baal or an image of Chemosh or an image of Molech or Ashtra, all of the gods that they were so tempted to worship. And what was going on in Jeremiah's day is the people of God, as we talked about, they were worshiping God in the temple. But in many cases, they would worship God in the temple on Saturday and they'd go back to their home and they'd look at that little idol that they had built or they'd go to the high place where the idol was and they would worship the idol along with worshiping the true God. And they would worship both. And what Jeremiah is saying to them is, you are a bunch of foolish people because these things that are made by someone else can't speak. They can't do anything. They're not to be feared. Did you catch that? Verse 5, do not be afraid of them. They can't walk 
And they can't do evil. See, what was happening in Jeremiah's day is some of the priests of these different false religions were saying, listen, if you don't worship Baal like you ought to and bring sacrifices to him, you won't have any crops because Baal was a fertility god, and, and the worship of Baal was supposed to make sure that they had the crops that they needed. And, and for us today, if we lose a crop, it's not a big deal because we have a grocery store, right? You and I can go to Food Line, or you can, we can go to Lowe's Foods, and we can get all the canned green beans that we need, whether our green beans don't, don't turn in this year. But in an agricultural society, crops were livelihood. If they didn't have their crops, they may not survive for the year. And so they would go pray to Baal because they were afraid that if they didn't pray to Baal and worship Baal and honor Baal, then Baal wouldn't give them the crops that they needed. In other cases, they they went and prayed to Molech. And in some cases, Molech, they believed, would tell them to bring their children and offer their children as sacrifices to Molech or Molech would would do something harmful and damaging to them. And what Jeremiah is saying is, hold on a second. You're talking about a piece of wood. A piece of wood can't do anything to you, can't harm you, can't walk. It has to be carried. It has to be moved. It it is completely wordless. Doesn't say anything, can't tell you what to do, can't tell you who you need to be. It is useless. But the Lord is to be feared. And that's the contrast that Jeremiah makes. God's not like an idol. God isn't an image to be worshipped. God is a person who speaks. And he is to be feared, but not in some type of fearful sense of uh, of dread. And that's the way idols are worshipped, by the way. Some type of dread. If I don't do this, God's going to, you know, zap me with a lightning bolt. That's not the way God is to be feared. The Lord is not to be feared in that sense because God is not a God out to get people and destroy people and judge people. God is a God who desperately loves people and he wants people in a relationship with himself. And he's a God who is full of wrath and anger and judgment. But he's also a God who's full of grace, mercy, and gives us the privilege of repentance. He is a God to be feared that is reverential awe. And the reason why the people of Israel were full of so much tendency to worship an idol rather than worship the one true God is they had lost the fear of the Lord. They had stopped recognizing that God was unique. Notice the way Jeremiah describes this. Who would not fear you, O king of the nations? Verse 6, there is none like you, O Lord. You are great and your name is great. The Lord, verse 10, is the true God. He's the living God, the everlasting king. At his wrath, the earth quakes and the nations cannot endure his indignation. God does not have an equal and he does not have a rival. There's no one on his playing field. That's why if you want to imagine that we're in a world that is divided by good and evil and there's a cosmic battle between good and evil, that is not a true indication of what's going on in the universe. Because evil is not on the same playing field as the one who is holy and who is good. He is absolutely sovereign and completely unique. The devil is not his equal, nor are any of these gods his equal. God has no rival. He is to be feared because he has spoken. I want to tell you something wonderful. 
God is not a God who wants to make you afraid. God's not a God who wants to zap you with his judgment. God is a God who has written 66 books over, 25, over 1,500 years with 40 different authors. And in this book, he has told you who he is, who we are, what we need, and we need Jesus. We need salvation and forgiveness. God has spoken, and he is to be feared, and he is to be worshipped. That's the first contrast. Idols are wordless. They don't speak. God alone is to be feared. He is worthy of our worship. Here's another contrast. Idols are worthless. Only the Lord is the creator. Pick up with me in verse 11. Thus shall you say to them, the gods who did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. When he utters his voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens, and he makes the mist rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings forth the wind from his storehouses. Every man is stupid and without knowledge. Wow, that's a great indictment against humanity, isn't it? We're stupid and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols, for his images are false. There's no breath in them. Notice this, verse 15. They are worthless. They're the work of delusion. At the time of their punishment, they shall perish. Not like these is he who is the portion of Jacob, for he is the one who formed all things. And Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. Gather up your bundle from the ground for you who dwell under siege. For thus says the Lord, behold, I'm slinging out the inhabitants of the land at this time, and I will bring distress on them that they may feel it. Idols are worthless, but God alone is the creator of all things. Isn't it amazing that over the years, hundreds, if not thousands of religions have existed all across the world? And they've made gods out of the sun, and they've made gods out of animals, and they've made gods out of dogs, and they've made gods out of cats, and they've made gods out of the sea. They've made gods out of almost everything we can see and imagine. They made gods out of creation. In order to make a god or an idol out of a creation, they have to take part of the creation and they have to form it into whatever likeness of whatever thing they're worshiping. And they set it down and they bow before it and they worship it. But you know what's interesting about all of those idols? They don't last. If you take a wooden idol and you put it in a fire, it's going to burn. One other place in the Old Testament, I believe it's in uh, the book of Isaiah. I don't remember the text off the top of my head. Isaiah is making fun of idols. He's talking about how the fact that idols are made from a tree and a tree is cut down and a craftsman makes an idol out of the tree, but then he takes the wood from another part of that tree and uses it as to burn a fire to the idol that he made out of the wood that he's using to burn a fire out of. And Jeremiah's point here is the same. Idols are worthless. They're not going to last. They, they won't remain. All these gods and the deities of Egypt, do you know how many people worship them today? None. How many people worship Baal? None. I haven't seen a Baal worshiping church in Wilkes County. Or an Ashtra worship church, worshiping church. Or a Chemosh worshiping church. Or a Molech worshiping church? Or, or the sun god Ra worshiping church for Egypt? And going down the list, I don't, I don't see those. Why do we not see those types of 
worship taking place because the idols and the religions that came uh, they, that, that drew those idols are worthless. They don't exist anymore. They're not, they, they're not real. So why would they last? The contrast is this. God is the one who made all things. He's different. Why is it that thousands of years later, in a little place called Wilkesboro, North Carolina, we're opening up a book from an author who wrote 2,500 years ago, Jeremiah, to a people that didn't listen to what he had to say anyway, but he writes about God and he writes about worship. Why is it that we're unpacking that and it has supreme relevance for our culture, our situation, our experiences? Why is that? Because the God that Jeremiah is writing about is real. He's not an image that we made up. He is the one who made all things. And that's the contrast. God is creator. Everything that we see came from the mind and from the, the hand, handiwork and the craftsmanship of the Lord who reigns and who rules. Say, pastor, uh, you know, that's fantastic, but what about me? Am, 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 am I worshiping idols? Do I have an idol problem? We'll unpack that in a moment, but let me just ask you this question. Let's say you do have an idol problem. Let's, let's, let's say you struggle with money as an idol. Or let's say you struggle with, uh, I don't know, Netflix binging as an idol. Or let's say you struggle with, uh, yeah, I don't know, political, uh, a, a political party as your idol. I don't know. Whatever your idol is, sports team, uh, what is your idol? Hey, ask yourself this question. What and where are those things going to be in a thousand years? Is anybody going to care who won the NBA championship a thousand years from now? Is anybody going to care about how much money you had in your 401k a thousand years from now? Is anyone going to care about how many Instagram likes you got or how many Facebook likes you got a thousand years from now? Here's one for you. Is anyone going to care what you look like a thousand years from now? You know what? No one's going to care about any of those things a thousand years from now. You know why? Because the things that we place a premium amount of value on, and sometimes that premium amount of value becomes idolatrous. We're going to talk about how that happens in a moment. But that premium amount of value, it becomes idolatrous. And do you know what? None of that will last. Your Facebook account won't last. Your iPhone won't last. Nothing that you have will be around a thousand years from now. But do you know who will be? The Lord will be. The one who created everything is not going away. And the soul that he gave you and the life that he gave you is not going away. See, the things that we put all of this importance in don't have eternal significance. But the God who invites us into a relationship with himself will last forever. And so will you. And I will tell you this, because God lasts there is not a moment that you have ever spent worshiping God that is wasted. The moments that we spend worshiping something idolatrous or giving too much preeminence to something that is worthless, those are gone. Those moments are wasted. They won't matter when it comes to eternity. Not at all. But every time you lift your voice and sing to Jesus, it matters. 
Every time you open up God's Word and you read it in humility and surrender and a desire to obey, it matters. It's worth something. Every time you open your mouth to speak the good news of Jesus to someone who doesn't know Christ as their Lord and Savior, it matters. It lasts. It lasts forever. Do you know why? Because God the Creator lasts for all times. And what He says is important and what He puts a value on matters. Idols are worthless, but the Lord alone is the Creator. Here's a third contrast. Idols are helpless. Only the Lord is our guide. Pick up in verse 19. Woe is me because of my hurt. My wound is grievous. But I say, truly, this is an affliction. and I must bear it. My tent is destroyed. My cords are broken. My children have gone from me, and they're not. There's no one to spread out my tent again and to set up my curtains. For the shepherds are stupid. Did you catch that? The idols are stupid in the first 10 verses. Everybody's stupid in the next 10 verses. The shepherds, that's the spiritual leaders and the, the, the political leaders there in Judah, they're stupid in verse 21 because they don't inquire of the Lord. Therefore, they have not prospered. Their flock is scattered. By the way, this is a complete aside, but this is really good for us to hear. Anyone who is supposed to lead people who doesn't inquire of the Lord, the Bible says they're foolish and stupid. We need God's wisdom and God's direction, not human wisdom and human direction in the decisions that are in front of us, whether that's politically or whether that's with relation to the economy or your job or anything else. We need heavenly and divine wisdom. That's free of charge. You don't have to pay for that. That's just good Bible interpretation there in um, Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 21. Verse 22, a voice, a rumor, behold, it comes, great commotion out of the north country to make the cities of Judah a desolation, a lair of jackals. That is Jeremiah prophesying about the Babylon, Babylon, the Babylonian kingdom coming to be the judgment that he had been preaching about for years prior to this sermon. Verse 23, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself. It's not in man who walks to to direct his steps. Correct me, O Lord, but in justice, not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. Pour out your wrath on the nations that you know not, on the peoples that cannot call on your name. For they have devoured Jacob, they have devoured him and consumed him and laid waste his habitation. Remember, we're in the context of idolatry. Here's the temptation. The temptation is that we would seek direction from something that won't give us any direction. See, idols are helpless They can't tell you what to do next. Well, they can tell you what to do next. I mean, if you, you, here's something that freaks me out. It probably bothers some of you too, okay? When you open up your uh, Facebook account and you're scrolling through Facebook and you see an advertisement for something you searched for in your internet browser two days ago. Like, hold on a second. I've got an ad for something that I searched. It's kind of weird, right? You know why that's the case, don't you? Because your content, your, your browsing history is all available and somebody's watching, whether it's Big Brother or somebody else, somebody's watching and picking up all that and they're trying to tell you what you should want or what you should buy or what you should do. I'm going to tell you, idolatry and things that are around us try to dictate to us what we should do. But did you notice what, the Lord, what Jeremiah said, I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his steps. Here's the point. We can listen to all the voices outside telling us what we should own, what we should pursue, what we should seek, what we should value. But if we do, 
it'll end up in desolation. And eventually, ultimately, it'll end up in judgment. Do you know who can guide us? The Lord alone will guide us. The Lord alone will give us direction. You want to live a life that actually matters? Focus on worshiping Jesus. Why? Because idolatry is helpless. I'm going to make a confession to you. Before we unpack how we can discern our own idols, I'm going to tell you about one of mine. I'm a pretty big North Carolina Tar Heel fan. I really am. I enjoy everything there is to enjoy about Carolina sports. I have been accused of being obsessed about it. Probably true. Uh, I, I don't know that it is an all-the-time idol, but sometimes it probably does reach the status of an idol. Something that, that I care about, maybe care about too much. Especially when they play a game and they lose a game. You know, if you're a really big fan of any team and they lose, it bothers you. I found myself angry about a loss. Angry many hours after a loss. And, and you know what? That's problematic. And, and, and here's something, here's something that, that, that amazes me. Do you realize that my amount of emotional investment in a sporting event has absolutely zero effect on the outcome of that sporting event? You get that, right? I mean, we can cheer, especially when you're cheering in your home room, in your living room, and, and nobody hears, nobody knows what's going on. It doesn't have any bearing on what's going on. Superstition doesn't work. There's, no, there's nothing that's invested in that. And by the way, if you really are a fan of a sports team, at some point, they're going to let you down. I mean, they're just going to absolutely let you down. My wife is an LSU Tiger fan. She watched a fantastic season last year, 14-0, 15-0, LSU Tigers. I mean, they just won. I mean, it was amazing to watch them go undefeated. And then they lost the first game of the season this year. I mean, you can be happy and then you can be sad. My point is this, and, and, and I'm not trying to pick on you and, and all of us who are sports fans. My point is this, though. When we worship something that is not valid, it's helpless. It doesn't matter. It won't last we can't make anything better because of our focus on something that is wrong. What matters? What matters is that we seek God to give us direction and guidance. He's the only thing and the only one that truly matters. So, so let me help you from, let me give you a quote, and then we're going to look at some ways that we can discern our own idols. This comes from Philip Ryken in his commentary on Jeremiah and Lamentations. He writes, Before laughing at the Israelites for bowing before blocks of wood, we need to feel the tug of idolatry in our own hearts. Consider how attractive the idols of this age often seem. Consider the appeal of rich desserts or the satisfaction of managing the lives of others or the allure of sexual pleasure or the comfort of, well, of being well-liked or the exhilaration of making it to the top of your profession, or the relaxation of a luxury vacation, or the security of a good insurance coverage. All these can become idols. The reason they can, as John Calvin put it, is that our hearts are a perpetual factory of idols. We will put anything in place of God because those things we do put in place of God are things we think we can control and manage. And God can't be controlled or managed. He has to be submitted to and worshipped. 
give you four questions that will help you discern whether you have any idols in your own life. They come from Tim Keller. They're not original with me, but I think they're very helpful and insightful. How about this question? What occupies my mind when I have nothing else to think about? What do you automatically go to? When you have a moment of pause, a moment where your life is not dictated by your job or by your family or or by something that is in front of you, where do you go to? It's not a guarantee that that thing is an idol, but it certainly can be, especially if that becomes an obsession and something we focus on without thinking. And, And then if you think about how much you actually think about it, are you putting it at a place where you're thinking about that thing, that person, that event, more than you're thinking about God. Folks, that can be an idol. That can be something you're putting in the place of God. God deserves our thoughts, our attention, and our focus. How about this question? What do I spend my money on? That can absolutely be an idol, whether that is luxury or whether that is security or whether that is some kind of toy that we that we buy to make ourselves look better or make ourselves feel better what we spend our money on can absolutely reflect an idol in our lives especially if that leads us to debt and if it leads us to be controlled by that other thing what do I spend my money on how about this one for us religious people what is my daily functional salvation It's an interesting question that Tim Keller would ask. How about this? How many of you think that you've got to be good to earn your salvation? One of the greatest challenges that we have in the Christian world is to help people understand that their salvation was won by Jesus and we receive salvation. We don't earn salvation. Some people have made an idol out of doing good things. They've actually said that, that I'm going to rely on how many times I've gone to church or how many times I've read the Bible or how much money I've given or how many good deeds I've done. I'm going to build those up as my good works and those are the ways that I'm going to guarantee that God's happy with me. That's functional idolatry. That is placing your good deeds in the place of where Jesus alone is. Let me make this real clear and practical. Why do we make idols out of things? Because we want to access and have control over our own religious expression. Why did the people of Israel turn from the one true God who had done all of these wonderful things in their history to a block of wood and bow down and worship it? Because they could touch the block of wood and they could control the block of wood. And God is not a God who can be touched and who can be controlled. But that God sent his son Jesus in human flesh so that he could be known. That's why we worship God through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus came to show us how we could enter into a relationship with the God who rules and the God who reigns. I'm going to tell you something. If you're relying on anything, your good works or anything in your past for salvation besides Jesus Christ, that is idolatry. And you need a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus came to die on a cross to take your place, to be your substitute, to die for your idolatry so that you could repent of your idolatry and receive eternal life through him. What is my functional salvation? How about this one? This was convicting to me. What is at the root of my most uncontrollable emotions? Whether that's a positive emotion like passion or desire, 
or whether that is a negative emotion like anger or frustration. Occasionally, I have an anger problem in my life. And you know what? I've done a lot of thinking about that and praying about that. Do you know where my anger problem rests and what God's shown me this week? It rests in the area of my heart that tries to control everything. And when I'm not in control of everything, namely my two children, and when they don't do exactly what I want them to do, when I want them to do it, or when somebody doesn't fulfill their obligation, or when I can't fix the situation around me like, you know, for the last eight months with COVID, I can't solve all that stuff. You know what bubbles up? Anger and frustration. Do you know why? Because God has shown me that I sometimes make an idol out of the control that I think I have. Idolatry is not just something for 2,500 years ago and the people of Israel that lived in Judah that worshipped a block of wood. Idolatry is something that you and I struggle with and we need to make sure we're not putting anything in God's place. So what do we do about our idols? Well, we have to repent of them. We have to turn from them. We have to acknowledge them. There's no way to get past it rather than confessing it and repenting of it. And then we have to replace an idol. What do we replace an idol with? Do you realize that God is inviting us to replace every idol in our lives with him? Let me tell you the best way that you can end idolatry in your life is by focusing on the glory and the wonder of the God who is, the God who exists, the God who is worthy of our worship. Warren Wearsby put it this way, and we'll close with this. The remedy for idolatry is for us to get caught up in the majesty and grandeur of God, the true God, the living God, the everlasting King. An idol is a substitute, and you would never want a substitute once you've experienced the love and power of the Lord God Almighty. During this time of invitation, I'm going to ask you to do a little bit of heart examination. Maybe ask yourself some of those questions. Maybe see if you've put something in the place of God. If you have, confess it and repent of it. And rejoice and worship in the God who has invited you to worship him alone. Uh, Discovering your idols, dealing with your idols, replacing your idols, is not something that will get fixed with one sermon. It's a lifelong responsibility that you and I have to make sure we're not putting anything in God's place. Thankfully, God's got a grace and patience for all of us. The best way to make sure that your idols aren't controlling you is to worship God. Make time every day to get your attention on His Word, to bow before Him in prayer, to sing to Him, to listen to His Word, to hear preaching, to be a part of worship services in whatever capacity you feel comfortable with, But make sure you're worshiping. If you're worshiping the one true God, it will burn out and it will push out opportunities to worship something false. Stand with me, if you will, as we conclude with a word of prayer and a song that we can worship with. Father, we come to you this day and we admit that we are flawed and full of sin and all too easily distracted by idolatry, whether it's security or whether it's money, whether it's an obsession, whether it's control or any number of other things, Father, 
we confess that we have placed things in front of you. We repent of that. And Father, we know that you're full of grace. And through your son Jesus, we can have forgiveness. We can have eternal life. We can have hope. We can have a relationship with you. And Lord God, we know that you are inviting us as your people to worship you, worship you today. Pray, Lord, as we conclude this service, that not only would you have your way in our hearts, would you help us discern our idols, would you help us repent of those idols and replace them with you, but Lord, as we close this worship service today, will you help us to truly worship, to focus our attention on the God of grace and glory who is worthy of our adoration, our praise, our song, and our obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Remember to like and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.